Sponsorship time. Hey, folks out there, hunters, farmers, outdoorsmen, guys that rip around the fucking subdivisions on their side-by-sides. Brap, 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 brap. Have we got a product for you. Gun Grabber Canada. Simple, fast, easy, reliable gun mounts for tractors, sprayers, combines, even universal mounts for four-wheelers and side-by-sides. Got a deer stand or a blind? Yep, guess what? Got a gun grabber for that too. Check out Gun Grabber Canada. You can find them on their website at ca.thegungrabber.com. Once again, the website ca.thegungrabber.com. They're available at the website or on Amazon. Just search Gun Grabber on Amazon. You can also find them at Twitter at TimSpringdale14 or you can email them orders at thegungrabber.ca. Once again, you can find that email orders at thegungrabber.ca or the website ca.thegungrabber.com. Gun Grabber, proud supporters of the Cox Talks Podcast. Are you someone that likes to play with their rod? Got sore arms and wrists from always playing and fighting with your rod? Spent countless hours out on a boat just holding on to your rod? Well, give those arms and wrists a break. Get rid of the carpal tunnel syndrome from playing with your rod and check out Real Crazy Fabrication. Custom designed and painted rod holders for all your fishing needs. Small town, Canadian made, built with pride and experience, real crazy fabrications can fix you and your rod up with whatever size, design, and color rod holder you're in the market for. You can check them out at realcrazyfabrication.com or check out their social media page at real.crazy.fabrication. Once again, realcrazyfabrication.com, that's R-E-E-L, fabrication.com or anywhere on their social media page at real.crazy.fabrication. Real Crazy Fabrication. Stop playing with your rod. Proud supporters of the Cox Talks Podcast. Nation. We're back. Been listen. Every time I go on a little fucking hiatus, I say, hey, been a fucking minute. This time it's actually true. I think my last episode was dropped in August. This is November. So there's been, you know, it's been quite a while. It's been quite a while since we sat down and had an old chinwag. So what's everybody been up to? Um, yeah, interested to, to hear what everybody's been up to. I don't know. I've, I've had some people check in to see if I'm okay. Uh, yeah, no, I'm perfectly fine. I just, you know what? I, um, I don't want to say the, I don't want to say that my desire to do podcasts, like I don't want to say the novelties wore off because it really hasn't. I've had a lot of instances where I was like, well, this would make a good uh, podcast episode. And I've talked to people that I'm going to get on the podcast uh, when I get around to it. And, uh, yeah, I just, you know what? I've just lacked the motivation to get behind a microphone. I, I like to think. I like to think I've been pretty busy on the farm and pretty busy with the big white peat that uh, when I do get home and I do get some time off, that sitting down behind a microphone, to be 100% honest, really isn't that high on my priority list. So that's kind of what's been going on. No, the novelty has not worn off. The Cox Talks podcast has not been put to bed. Here we are. We're doing fine. We're doing well. And we're back. So if you stuck around and if you're listening to this podcast, thank you for your patience. Thank you to those who have reached out wondering just WTF is going on. 
And of course, naturally, Barb. Barb, my favorite, my favorite Barb. You're welcome. Okay. You can now drive to work listening to my sexy, sultry voice and, you know, fantasizing about what could have been, you know, Barb, just coming to the realization, Barb, that I'm the one that got away. Okay. I'm the one that got away from you. Okay. So, but, uh, yeah. Little bit of what I've been up to. So, uh, when the last episodes dropped, I actually, I was on vacation. I went on a lovely, lovely Mediterranean cruise with my better half. Uh, I was gone. I guess I was on vacation for 15 days. And yes, this was back in August. So this is a long time ago. Uh, Mediterranean cruise. We, we flew into Lisbon, Portugal, uh, spent a day in Lisbon, got a hotel room there. Um, with a rooftop pool, uh, drink service, food service, all right by the pool. Pretty, pretty fancy schmancy spot, actually. My better half picked up the tab for that. And, uh, we flew into Lisbon early so that we didn't have any issues. Cause I don't know if you guys have been staying up to date on what the fuck's going on, but Pearson airport is an app in Toronto. Pearson airport in Toronto is an absolute clusterfuck. So we didn't want to risk the chance of, you know, our flight being delayed or canceled or whatever because those cruise ships, they don't fucking wait. They do not fucking wait on you. So we went in a day early. Uh, we um, we flew overnight. So we spent the first day literally just laying by the pool, uh, hanging out, uh, having a good time. And, and then we went out for a nice dinner. And then the next day we just kind of toured around Lisbon on foot. Uh, which was really cool. Saw a lot of things, um, you know, ate some fucking good food, had a couple nice glasses of wine. Lisbon, Portugal is beautiful, too, by the way. And if you'd ever thought that you'd be hearing a foul-mouthed uh, redneck dairy farmer from Uxbridge, Ontario, talk about visiting Lisbon and the culture and the architecture and just the sheer beauty of the city, if you'd have put money on that when you were young or when you first started listening to this podcast i bet you thought you'd have lost that money well no lisbon was awesome portugal was awesome uh we didn't get off the beaten path at all we were just pretty much stuck to the city of lisbon um but i i would love to get back to portugal i would love to get back there wasn't too bad of a flight either i think it was a seven hour flight i think toronto to lisbon so wasn't too bad at all actually uh, sailed out of Lisbon, Portugal. We were, we made stops in Spain. Uh, we made stops in France. We made our final stop was in, uh, I guess we, we disembarked in the port of Rome, Italy, and we had another stop in Italy too. So I won't get too much, uh, into the information, but, uh, it was fucking hot. It was very fucking hot. Every day was like 30 degrees, 32 degrees maybe. The very first day we got off the ship, I think it was 34. And I had a severe hangover from too many vodka sodas uh, the first night on the ship. Went hard on the vodka sodas. It's all-inclusive cruise. So you literally don't have to carry any money unless you want to tip your bartenders and stuff, um, which was kind of nice. So... You get off the boat and it's 34 degrees out and you got a hangover. Holy fuck. Talk about sucking off the end of a shotgun. My God. It was unbearable. I, I had a tough go. And me being me and me being a stubborn man, um, my lovely better half there, she kept telling me to eat some, like, we needed to find some salt. We need to find some salt. Anyways, we went up to this castle that, you know, all these, all these old Mediterranean European cities, they all have a fucking castle on the highest point of the fucking city. So that back in the days of the Spanish War or whatever the fuck, was the Spanish War even in Spain? I don't know. By the name of it, I guess it should have been. But um, they were selling these beer nuts outside this fucking castle. And I dummied the beer nuts and then I went into a public restroom and took a hot dump. And uh, guess what? The kid was right back in the game. So... No, it was very hot. Spain was beautiful. I would go back to Spain in a heartbeat. 
again, great food, good wine, um, beautiful weather, topless beaches. Um, there was also topless beaches. And uh, there was some, actually, we ran across some pretty cool topless beaches while we were there. And I mean, these topless beaches, let me tell you, there's a little something. Well, no, I'm not even going to say that because there's a lot of women there that were going topless that shouldn't have gone topless. There was also a lot of beautiful women there with going topless, with beautiful the Spaniards, I guess you would call them, like the way their their bodies tan up, like they're they're fucking bronze, like they go bronze. Um, very distracting, very distracting. You want if you're gonna go to one of these beaches, you want to make sure you're wearing dark sunglasses. I actually recommend wearing hologram sunglasses so that they really can't see your eyes. Um, but one thing that I will say was a little, I don't, I don't want to say it was concerning, but it definitely threw me off was there was also there was also children there that were topless and I didn't really care for that whatsoever um I mean there was lots of them so I guess it's it's very acceptable in the in those countries but uh it just I don't know it threw me off I didn't I didn't care for that but whatever it is what it is uh we were in France um the south of France which really caught me off guard as well. You think of France and you think of Paris and you think of, I don't know, like fucking, I don't even know what you think of when you think of France. When you think of France, I just think of Paris, plain and simple. That's it. And I think of like Northern France, I guess, and like World War One, World War Two, and trench warfare and shit like that. But you get down into the south of France and again, beautiful weather, hot and dry, beautiful beaches. Oh my God. I, I, I think that's what, what um, caught me off guard the most was, was the beaches, the beautiful beaches in France. And, of course, I don't know, but most of you have probably heard or seen or figured out. In the south of France, I took it upon myself to get engaged. So my better half is now my beautiful fiance. Surprisingly, she said yes. You guys have no idea how many drinks I had to give her to get her to say yes. But um, so I'm sure any fucking chicks that listen to this, they want to hear the story. Dudes don't really care, but um, some guys, some people have asked. So we were in this little fishing village on the coast of France somewhere. Uh, Saint-Sur-de-Mel or something like that. I can't. Fuck. I'm not, I didn't even really know we were in France till someone told me, but, uh, we were in this little fishing village and they had one of their markets set up along the waterfront. And I had kind of decided that that was the day I was going to do it. So I'd had the ring hidden with me the whole time. And, uh, again, we've got up into this, uh, kind of lookout tower that overlooked the whole village and you could see right out onto the Mediterranean ocean and, and things like that. And we were up on this tower, and I'm kind of looking around, and I'm like, well, fuck. I guess uh, we had the tower to ourselves. Like, nobody else was up there with us. And I was like, well, fuck, I guess not going to be a better time than now, Coxie boy. So she had gone over to the other side of the tower to look at something, and I pulled the ring out of my, my backpack. And she turned around. There I was on one knee, and I gave her the old, I didn't say a whole lot, to be honest. I just give her the old, and I, 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 I won't say her name, but I said her name. And I said, will you marry me? And she said yes. And she cried, and she kind of fucking, like, jumped up and down and told me how lucky she was to be my fiancé and all that stuff. <laughs> That's a bold-faced lie. She didn't fucking say anything like that. She actually admitted that after, once I asked her, she kind of blacked out, and she doesn't really remember anything after that. Now, I don't know if that was from the booze. I don't know if that was her realizing what an absolute mistake she said by saying yes. Or I don't know if that was just sheer happiness of her realizing she gets to spend the rest of her life with a complete fucking beauty. Ha! 
So anyway, so yeah, so what was kind of funny about that too is you had to climb up this tower. You had to climb up this really, really narrow ladder and come through this man opening at the very top. And it's a pretty tight fit, right? So one at a time. So I'm down on one knee and I actually happen to look over and I, I guess it must have just caught my eye in my peripherals. But um, I noticed a guy and he like stuck his head up out of this man opening and he was bringing his family up to the top of the tower. And he turned and he looked and he saw me and he just like, popped his head back down, like kind of like a gopher, right? And I guess he obviously saw what was going on. But um, it, I felt bad for the guy. It was so fucking awkward for him. So then I guess they, they must have just waited for like a minute or two or whatever, maybe not even that long. And then his whole family came up, and we were kind of, you know, hugging and kissing and making out. and Not really. She, we don't make out. But, you know, just hugging and kissing, and we took a couple pictures of her ring up on top of the tower and stuff. And he brought his family up, and he kind of stayed off to, like, the perimeter and, like, wouldn't wouldn't look at us and kept, like, hurting his family, like, away from us and stuff. So you could tell that the guy just didn't want to ruin our moment, and uh, that was kind of it – was, it was awkward for him. I had a good chuckle out of it, but – I listen. I know this guy doesn't listen to the podcast, but much respect to that guy um, for just kind of you know giving us our space and giving us our privacy. So, so that was kind of cool. So yeah, so I'm an engaged man. So any ladies who uh, you know had uh, bad intentions, sorry, sorry, babes, off the market, off the market. Yeah, just another another good man down. So I sent the the news and I sent a couple pictures to a couple buddies and my one buddy was like, "Yeah, great. You got engaged in a fishing village in France." And I asked my wife to marry me in our living room in Hamilton. He's like, "One of these is not like the other." So uh yeah, so no, that was kind of cool. It was um yeah, get that fucking done and out of the way and Holy fuck, now we're into the wedding planning. Oh, 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 oh my god. I I don't I'm not having a good time with it. Uh everything's gonna be pretty simple. Uh borderline borderline just redneck hoedown, to be honest with you. It's gonna be simple, but it's it's stressful. It's a little stressful. She's doing most of it. Um Yeah, so I mean that's another topic for another day. But uh from France we went, yeah, went to a couple stops in France, and uh, then we disembarked in uh, the port of Rome, Italy. And I don't know, for any of you that have that have gone on cruises before or whatever, so when we pulled into port, there was actually three of these cruise ships disembarking at the same time. So there was upwards of 15,000 people heading to the Rome airport at the exact same time. So we uh, we had actually planned ahead. And we got a hotel room at a yacht club. So we stayed at an Italian yacht club for a night. And same thing, we just, we got there early in the morning. I guess we got there about noon. And they had an outdoor pool. And same thing, they had food and beverage services right beside the pool. So we just kind of laid by the pool and, um, you know, relaxed and recharged for a day before we got on a flight coming home. Because I'll tell you what, like, you're away on vacation and stuff, and the cruises are awesome. I love the cruises because you wake up every day and you're in a different port. I don't care so much for all-inclusive resort vacations because I can only stare at the same fucking pool for so long, uh, to be honest with you. But uh, the food is good on these ships. We, we cruised with Norwegian. The food was good. The drinks were good. Good bars. We kind of just... Uh, you know what? We found a little bar that was on one of the outside decks of the pool, and it ended up just kind of being like your little neighborhood bar. You know, it was it was really cool. You'd go out and get off the ship every day and go on your excursion and do whatever, and then you came back, and what we were doing was it was so fucking hot there. We would come back to our room and just kind of chill out for a bit, you know, half an hour or whatever, lay in the room, get cooled down in the AC. We also had a balcony suite. We kind of, we kind of went all out. We went all out and paid for a balcony suite. And after having a balcony suite compared to an inside room, I'll never go back to an inside room now. The balconies are pretty sweet to have. 
if you're planning on taking a cruise, I urge you just spend the extra money and get, and get a balcony. Like there was one night that, you know, we just kind of had enough with the partying and the drinking and the visiting. And uh, we just sat on our balcony and while well, the ship set sail and read and, you know, drank a bottle of wine and just kind of hung out and, and chilled out for a bit, but back to the bar. So the little bar we hung out at was called Sid Norman's Poor House. And we, uh, yeah, like I said, it just kind of became a neighborhood bar. And it was the very first night there. There was these women from, I want to say they were from New Orleans or something. And they were in their 60s. And, man, what a snake pit to get into. They were there and they were drinking and they were having a fucking good time. A really good time. And I was kind of standing waiting for a drink. And uh, this guy fucking rolls up beside me. Old, I don't want to say an older guy, but he's fucking older than me. And these women were just putting on a show, and I'm like, fuck, fuck, stay out of that snake pit. And him and I just had a good laugh over it, and we ended up being pretty good buddies. So so my buddy Stuart and his lovely wife Karen, what a sweetheart Karen is. Stuart's an old fucking piss tank, piss trout, love the guy, nicknamed Snow. Karen, Karen was a sweetheart, so we got to know them. They were Australian, and then we got to know this other couple, Tanika and Gurel. Gurel was Turkish. Tanika was uh, an American Midwest lady. They'd met at university, and anyways, every night we would meet up at the bar, and we would meet up with them. We were kind of like a core six, and it's like you go and you do your thing all day, and you come back to the bar at night, and you have some drinks, and you discuss your day, and, you know, you start talking, you know, telling each other about your lives back home and your family and your jobs and whatever. And um, and then you sprinkle in other people as well. There was a, a couple there from Wisconsin, Madison, Wisconsin, that owned a couple bars. There was a guy from New Jersey that um, big Marty Broder fan. So got along with that guy pretty well. There was this guy from the Netherlands. We called him Netherlands. He's the most annoying human being I've ever met. Really nice guy, super nice guy, nothing wrong with him. Didn't know how to read the room. Um, yeah, it was so, it's kind of cool how a cruise can be like that. You know, you just kind of fall in with a group of people that you get along with. And like I said, it just it just felt like I was at my neighborhood bar every night. You know, it's, you get home from work or whatever, you get down and, and you see the boys and the girls and you have a fucking drink. And um, our friends, Tanika and, and Gurel and... Karen and Stuart, 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 that's my Australian accent, Stuart, um, yeah, we've, we've all stayed in touch, we had an awesome bartender as well, Jose Valencia, he was awesome, he would, you know, you'd roll up and he'd have your drink waiting for you on the bar there, and he got to know our drinks, and uh, just an all-around good time, um, love the cruise, love Norwegian Cruise Line, everything's so easy, everything is so available, uh, it was a great vacation. We made great friends. Got myself a fiance. What a fucking time to be alive. Okay, so now that we got it out of the way of where I've been and what I've been doing, let's talk a little fall harvest here in Ontario. Because I got some fucking things on my mind, and I might get myself into fucking trouble here, but I don't give a shit. Okay? I just don't give a shit. So, it's November. Here in Ontario, which means corn harvest. Everybody's out picking corn, cutting corn, combining corn, harvesting corn, however you want to say it. I've actually started to use uh, picking corn. We're out picking corn. Anyways, big yields this year in Ontario. Big yields. And um, some of the corn early in the harvest was, was fairly wet as well. So for those of you who don't understand how corn harvest works, okay, you cannot store corn above 15% moisture, okay, without, you have to dry it first. So, what farmers do is they harvest the corn, and they either take it to their own on-farm dryer, or they take it to a grain elevator, where the grain elevator collects it and dries it, and then pays you for it upon your contract set up or upon when they sell it at various different ways you can set it up we don't need to get into that so what is happening with the big yields in the wet corn means that 
uh, a lot of grain elevators and a lot of farmers, their grain dryers just can't keep up because it is a slow process to dry corn when you put it through their dryers, okay? That's fine. That's th- These are the things that happen in harvest. But the thing that fucking irritates me is these farmers that have custom operators come in. And what I mean by custom operators, for those of you who don't know, there are farmers out there that don't have specific pieces of equipment, whether it be a combine, a truck, a wagon, a, a cedar, a planter, whatever. There's a lot of farmers out there that just don't have certain pieces of equipment either because they can't afford it, they don't have enough acres to justify it, so on and so forth. So, this time of year you get a lot of guys in the area that get custom combining done. Or, you get a lot of guys in the area that get some custom trucking done. Well, everybody knows, I own a very, very small-time trucking company. One-man show, my brother and I own the trucks. I'm pretty much the only one that drives the big white Pete um, back and forth to the hammer a lot of days. The hammer being Hamilton. Anyway, so with these big yields and the wet corn, a lot of guys are looking to have their corn um, trucked to the grain elevator. Or a lot of guys are looking to have their corn combined. Which is totally fine. But I am here to tell you, if you are a farmer who's getting custom work done, can we please stop with the narrative that the custom operator is on your time? Okay, if you want things done on your time, please go out and invest in your own equipment. Just because a guy has committed to combining your corn does not mean he's going to ask how high when you say jump. Don't get me wrong, 9 out of 10 custom operators will do their best to get to your farm, your field, your operation, when you would like them there. Having said that, do not think for one minute that you are their only customer. They have other customers as well. That's why they're called custom operators, because they have several fucking customers, not just you. So when you wake up on a Monday morning... And you just decide, oh, Monday morning, I'm going to start. I want my corn combined. I want my corn harvested. No, it, 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 it doesn't, it really doesn't fucking work like that, okay? You will get your stuff harvested when the custom operator is available to harvest it. That doesn't necessarily fucking mean it's going to be Monday morning. For all you know, it could be Thursday afternoon, okay? Because once again, you're on the custom operator's time. He's not on your time. And furthermore, if you're going to call and request for trucks in your field because, quote, unquote, you're in the mood to move some corn, you better think long and hard about whether or not you actually want that trucker to truck your corn. And I'll tell you why. There's an old saying in the trucking business, if the wheels ain't turning, you ain't earning. Well, let me tell you, as a custom trucking guy i'm going to go i follow the money okay and if you're one of these guys where i have to drop my truck off at your farm at 8 a.m in the morning and then maybe retrieve it at 4 p.m in the afternoon after it's been loaded you're probably not getting my trucks okay i have a lineup of customers that can keep me moving all day long okay which means i'm making money first of all And second of all, if you're one of these fucking dickbags that has called around to every other custom trucker in the fucking neighborhood or in the general vicinity to see what their prices are because you immediately think that, oh, Trevor has a custom trucking business. He's too expensive. Then you better know two things. Number one, that all us truck drivers, we all talk and we all try to stay within the same rate. That way, somebody isn't undercutting somebody else. And second of all, somebody isn't getting a bad reputation out on the road because, oh, Trevor can do it cheaper than everybody else. We'll just call him, okay? We all talk. We know that you've called this guy and that guy and his fucking cousin and his brother's friend's cousin who has the fucking truck. Instead of just picking up the phone and squawking over a $200 price difference. Okay, now, 
to the general public, okay, $200 sounds like a lot. But really, when time is of the essence due to weather or um, crop quality, we'll call it, $200 really isn't that much fucking money. And furthermore, you can come at me and you can say that such and such an elevator can truck it cheaper. Well, let me tell you, they're going to get that money out of you somewhere. They don't make their money trucking. They make their money drying corn and shipping corn. They don't make their money trucking corn. Okay, so don't come at me with, oh, what's-your-names are cheaper. Don't give a fuck. That's that. The trucking isn't their bread and butter. The trucking is my bread and butter. And really, two more little tidbits here, and then I'm going to put this rant to bed. If you're one of these guys that has seen my trucks sitting idle for a day, on one of the rare days of this time of year that all three trucks are sitting idle, and you choose not to call me because, again, you think somebody can do it cheaper, and then at the final hour you call me in to do your trucking, I'm going to come in and I'm going to help you out. But I'm going to put that in my little back pocket, and the next time you're screaming for trucks, I'm not going out of my way to help you. It's like I said. I follow the fucking money. I pick up the phone when people call, and I do my best to help them. But I'm not letting my truck sit idle because you can't make up your mind on who's going to truck your corn or when your corn is going to be combined, number one. And I don't have time for you to wait around and call everybody in the neighborhood to find out their rates before you fucking call me. And finally, there's a little thing that we like to fucking call communication, okay? This is this one's my favorite, okay? This one is my favorite, so... So you talk to some guy, okay, and he's like, yeah, I got this farm, such and such a place. I wouldn't mind if you'd truck the corn for me. Okay, that's good. Yeah, we can listen. We can work with this. You've called me ahead of time, okay? Let's just pretend it's a Thursday, okay? And the guy says, yeah, probably going to be someday next week. Okay, yeah, that's fair. All right, next week, I'll, you know, I'll put you on the list, whatever. Oh, what do you know, next week rolls around, and he calls you Monday afternoon and says, well, I'm here, where are you? Oh, that's cool. Listen, bud, I understand you said next week, but next week is is actually a seven-day period. So rather than just show up at the field and expect me to say how fucking high when you say jump, maybe give me a phone call a day or two in advance and say, hey, Monday, I'm going to such and such a farm that I spoke to you about trucking. Can you make it work? Then you might get somewhere. And listen, I understand that those guys have breakdowns. They have setbacks too. So, you know, or sometimes, some listen, sometimes go better than planned. So maybe he was ahead of schedule. Maybe he was behind the schedule. Nobody fucking knows. But a little communication. You cannot just expect a custom operator to ask how high when you say jump. Stop thinking that custom operators are on your time. They're not. You are on their time. Get it through your fucking heads. Okay, so moving on. I wanted to discuss uh, steakhouses. Weird, right? Um, not weird, actually. Fuck. So... I'm a big fan of, of going to steakhouses. I have, by no means am I a baller who only eats at steakhouses. But probably once a year, sometimes twice, uh, I like to hit up like a really fancy, like popular steakhouse because one of the things... I will spend money on in my life is good food. And that's clear with, you know, um, some of the past topics we've had and whatever and the the donut shop thing that I had going on there early on in the podcasts and things like that. But I love spending money on good food. I'm not a foodie. I'm not, you know, I'm not a fucking food snob or anything. If I hear a place is really good, I will go and try it out for myself. So, been you know been to been to enough steakhouses in my day. Um, been to Blue Blood Steakhouse in Toronto. That is uh, the steakhouse that they put in Casa Loma 
actually, which was really cool. The food did not impress me at Blue Blood. But I'll tell you what did, the ambiance. It's a very classical, like, well, it's in a fucking castle, first of all. But if you sit inside in the restaurant, and I've also sat out on the patio in the summer months overlooking the city, that was that was pretty cool. Went there with a buddy one time, my good buddy Goose, and uh, we had a, a wonderful steak dinner together. I had a nice glass of red, and I think uh, maybe an old-fashioned as well. I don't know. I don't really remember. But great view of the city. But if you sit inside, it's got that, like, you know, like 1920s, 1930s gentleman's club fucking steakhouse feel to it. You know, it's got, like, the benches or the, or the booths that you sit in. If you get a booth, it's got, like, the old classic style rich brown leather. You know what I mean? Um, it's, it's dark. There's fine mahogany and whatever fucking type of wood was in this room that I wouldn't say is original to the castle, but the cosmetics of it are very original, if that makes sense. Um, so Blue Blood Steakhouse was really good. The food, the, the steak was, this the steak was acceptable. And the one thing I liked about Blue Blood is I didn't, I felt as though they didn't gouge you on prices. Um, I thought, I thought the prices were very good, were very comparable to the food quality. But what, in my opinion, got the blue blood over the top and made it um, one of my favorite steakhouses was the ambiance. Great ambiance. I love a good ambiance. So, yes, I'll, I'll take it. Um, we've been to Barbarians in downtown Toronto. Really good steak, actually. Really good steak, really good food. The old lady and I, we went there before a Leaf game one night. It was really good. Food was excellent. I thought the ambiance was subpar. I just felt like I was in like, um, I don't even know, like, uh, I don't even know how you'd put it. It was, it was very bright, which is, which is okay, I guess. But I feel like steakhouses should be kind of dark, you know, not so dark that you can't see what you're fucking eating, but. You know what I mean. Dim light, comfortable, warm lighting. I found Barbarians was very bright. And I felt like I was eating. Now, it was a second floor restaurant, which is fine. That's neither here nor there. But I felt like I was eating in like the second or third floor of a quality in hotel somewhere. That's just kind of the ambiance I got from it. So I would go back there just because the food was good. But I did not like the ambiance. So last week... Um, two weeks ago, last week, I don't know, fuck, can't remember, we went to Harbor 60 Steakhouse in Toronto, and Harbor 60, to my knowledge, is supposed to be, quote, unquote, the premier steakhouse in Toronto. It's in the old Harbor, I don't know, was it the Harbor Patrol or the Harbor, we'll just call it the fucking Harbor Head Offices of Toronto, uh, very cool looking building from the exterior. You walk up the front steps, you walk into the, the foyer of the restaurant. Pretty cool, you know. They got um, the old stonework and the old style steps, and you can tell it was a very well-manicured building in its day, and it still is. The interior, um, the lighting was great. I thought the lighting was great. You know, it was it was dim in there. It was warm. But I didn't find my chair very comfortable. <laughs> like, is this is this me just nitpicking? I mean, you go to these steakhouses, and not, in my opinion, not only are you paying for the food, you're paying for ambiance, you're paying for comfort, you're paying for customer service, yada yada yada. Um, but a couple things threw me off about Harbor 60. Number one, I couldn't get comfortable in my chair. Um, that was the first thing that I kind of noticed. The food was good. Um, but it was no better than anywhere else I've been. And I was on the understanding, you know, that, you know, these steaks at the Harbor 60 would just literally, you know, you cut them with your fork, they melt in your mouth, so on and so forth. I thought the food was, was good, but it wasn't as good as it was priced. And what I found about Harbor 60 Steakhouse is that it was very overpriced for what you got. Now, to each their own. Keep in mind, my show, my opinion. 
Okay. But, yeah, for, I mean, for as advertised, I was pretty underwhelmed with Harbor 60. Overpriced for, well, I won't say marginal. Um, overpriced for acceptable food. Now, again, like I said, I don't mind paying money for good food. But the price I spent on dinner, I felt like I should have fucking creamed my jeans when I was eating my steak. I had a nice 18-ounce ribeye. I had some scallops, and I ordered a side of mushrooms, and we ordered a uh, bottle of red wine. The wine was really good. I think it was called Headwinds or something like that. Um, a nice California Cab Sauv, uh, you know, for the refined taste. Now... I'm not going to fucking beat around the bush here. I ordered the fucking cheapest bottle on the menu at, I believe it was $80. There was bottles on the menu. I think I saw bottles for like 1600 bucks. Well, I ain't that kind of fucking baller. And the only reason I ordered a complete bottle is because I think a glass was like 22 bucks. So by the time you have two glasses, you've paid for more than half a bottle. So we just decided, fuck it. We'll get the bottle. Um, the old lady, actually, my better seven eights. She, uh, she was actually pretty conservative. She just ordered like a Caesar salad and fucking truffle fries. I don't know what that was about. Maybe she felt bad because I was paying for dinner and everything was, you know, fairly expensive. Um, so you know, she kind of ate like a rabbit, and that was okay with me. I uh, I ate so much that I pretty much, I could have had a nap right there. Oh, and I had a fucking best part of the meal, actually, in my opinion. I had the fucking creme brulee for dessert. I'm a sucker for creme brulee. I see it on the menu. I can't not order it. I fucking love creme brulee. So, wasn't overly uh, expensive for the two of us. Wasn't as expensive as I thought it would be, but overrated in my opinion nonetheless a wonderful night out with my better half we were there with some friends too so it wasn't just the two of us there was a big group of us a lot of laughs and a good time but what i wanted to know was i'm so i'm sitting there and i'm looking at the harbor 60 menu and i noticed this at blue blood and i've noticed this you know at, at a couple steakhouses i've been to is uh Different prices for different cuts, obviously. That makes total sense. You know, an 18-ounce steak isn't going to be the same price as an 8-ounce steak. Uh, a tomahawk, you know, is always overpriced because, you know, they call it like a fucking 32-ounce tomahawk. But fucking 26 ounces of it are bone. Everybody loves a 26-ounce bone. <laughs> Get it? Anyways, so different prices for different cuts, I understand. But what I want to know is... So you go down the list and you see, okay, um, this is a Charlay steak. This is an Angus steak. This is fucking a Hereford steak. This is a Wagyu steak. Now, Wagyu steaks are supposed to be the creme de la creme of steaks. Um, I have had one Wagyu steak in my life, which came from Headwater Farms in Uxbridge. And I thought it was really good. Now, what I would really like to do is try a Wagyu steak cooked by a professional. Because I just cooked it myself. I uh, pan seared it in an iron, uh, cast iron frying pan. And then I baked it in the oven to about medium rare. Medium, medium rare. Somewhere in and around there. And it was, it was fucking, it was a delightful steak. Um, one of the best I've ever had, which I've cooked for myself. Which led me to believe, you know, a Wagyu steak cooked by a professional would just be, it'd be off the fucking hizzo, yo. So, I'd really like to try that someday. But what I want to know is, okay, so you see a Wagyu steak is like five, six hundred bucks. Angus is always expensive. Hereford, blah, blah, blah. To the average listener out there, and listen, I know my audience, okay? I've got farmers. i got fucking welders. Framers, truck drivers, a lot of truck drivers. Shout out Brent Speedy, Wyatt Watson, fucking Hawkeye, you fucking weirdos. Um, Jack Brower, shout out to you too. Poor Perry sucks. Um, to the average listener, okay, 
Would my listeners out there, if I put four fucking plates in front of you, and one plate was a fucking Angus steak, and one plate was a Hereford steak, and one plate was a steak from a fucking Charlet, and one plate was a steak from an old fucking Holstein cow from Coxlin Farms. If I got the same chef to cook all those steaks identical, would you be able to tell the difference? And the thing of it is, is I feel like my listeners are the types of people that actually legitimately could tell the difference because we are country folk. We come from a country background. We eat steak on the daily or at least roast beef or burgers. A lot of burgers in the trucking industry, tell you that for fucking free. But would you be able to tell the difference? Having said that, these fucking Bay Street lawyers, accountants, whatever, do they really fucking, when they go to these steakhouses for client dinners, and I got a good buddy fucking Derek Linden, he's a big swinging fucking dick with some computer company downtown Toronto, probably has a lot of fucking, you know, probably has a lot of business dinners at steakhouses. I don't think that these motherfuckers could tell the difference in steaks based on the breed of bovine that they came off of. I'd be willing to bet the trained eye might most likely could probably tell the difference in a Wagyu steak because of the way it marbles. But as for the other breeds of bovine, there's no fucking way these people can tell the difference between breeds of steak, we'll call it. So my other question is, just going to a steakhouse and saying, oh, well, fuck, I had the uh, fucking nine-ounce baseball black Angus steak for $977. Is ordering steak like that at a fancy steakhouse, is that more of a status thing? Is that more of a dick swinging contest when you order different breeds of beef? Do you know what I'm getting at here? Do you understand what I'm trying to say? It's like a status thing, you know? It's like, well, I'm better than you because I ordered the Wagyu, or I have more money than you because I ordered the Wagyu. Is that a thing, do you think? Is that a thing in the, I'm going to call it corporate dinner world? Listen, I don't get to go out for many quote-unquote corporate dinners. I haven't had a lot of fucking dinners bought for me in my time. I've had I've had a few, okay? I'm not whining. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying, number one, I'm not in the right industry, and some people might argue that. Number two, I don't fucking care to go to those dinners with people I generally question whether I fucking even like them or not. And number three, I just, you know what? I just, whatever. I don't get those dinners. It is what it is. But I want to know. Going to a steakhouse. Could you tell the difference? And I want feedback on this. You listeners all know. You all fucking know I'm a big feedback guy. Does ordering different brands, brands, breeds, different breeds of steak, is that a status thing? Is that a big dick swinging contest? Or can you people out there actually tell the difference in the steak you're eating? I want to know because I personally think it's a status thing. It's like going to the fucking Leaf game. You know, all these all these companies and businesses and these businessmen that go to the Leaf games and sit in the platinum seats. They don't even sit in the fucking seats, first of all. And don't even get me started on the Leafs. But they don't even sit in the, in the seats. My feeling is they buy platinum tickets as a fucking uh, social status thing. Now... Listen, there's lots of people that go to Leaf games and they fucking, you know, they never leave their fucking seats. They don't even buy snacks. And that's awesome. That's the way it should be. Everybody should be able to. The arena should be full. It should be rowdy. It should be loud. But these fucking corporate ding-dongs that just do shit for social status. Fuck, it's just, I don't know, man. It's starting to get fucking old. And I just had a conversation with a buddy via text. My threshold for people is at an all-time low. And I really noticed it once we came out of COVID. I think COVID really changed the world or changed society for the worst, in my opinion. I just feel like a lot of people, they just don't have time for other people anymore. And maybe it's me. Maybe it's because I turned 40, so I'm already, you know, I'm just instantly supposed to be fucking grumpy. 
I think that's the way it is. But listen, at least I get to fall asleep in random places, and it's acceptable. But this is just kind of a fucking ramble session, honestly. But, yeah, I just, I don't know. My threshold for people is at an all-time low. I've really uh, reduced my circle of people I converse with. Now, my old lady would argue that. She says I'm a social butterfly and I talk to everybody but her. But, listen, i am just become very picky and choosy with the people I talk to. And I don't really know why. I don't know why my threshold is at an all-time low. But I've, I'm finding a, a huge lack of common sense in the world these days. And an increase in entitlement. And not only the 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 worst place I see entitlement is I coach a junior hockey team, and those motherfuckers in that dressing room sometimes these kids, these 16 to 22 year old kids are I find so much entitlement in there. Okay, but I also find a lot of entitlement in the adult social scene as well, and it it just fucking drives me nuts. You know, like listen, I'm not looking for sympathy. I'm not looking for a pat on the back. But I put my head down and I have to fucking grind, okay? I've, I've had to work for everything I've got. Some may argue that, and that's fine. You're an outsider looking in. You don't know my fucking story. You don't know what, you know, the, 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 the arguments, the fights, the struggles I've had, so on and so forth. And again, I'm not looking for sympathy. I'm not looking for a pat on the back. That's just the fucking way it is. You know when you listen to this podcast, you get it. The way I see it, whether you agree or disagree, okay? But I put my fucking head down and I grind and I'm proud of what I have collected, I'll say collected, over the years, which I've done by the skin of my own back, okay? And yes, listen, I live a comfortable lifestyle. I go out for nice dinners. I have a, I have a shiny toy in a Sea-Doo. I drive a nice pickup truck. I get to go on nice vacations. But none of that shit has been handed to me. I work my fucking balls off for it, okay? And that's fine. I chose the life I have. But these people that want to do the absolute minimum, I fucking actually can't believe this is what this fucking steakhouse talk morphed into. But I can't believe out there, I I shake my head at the amount of people that want everything for nothing out there. And, And not only do they want everything for nothing, they, that's what they think they fucking deserve. Because don't get me wrong, I want everything for nothing too. I'd love to do as little as possible and sit atop my throne in my kingdom and look down on the peasants. Unfortunately, that's not the fucking way it works around my neck of the woods. But I'm just, I'm amazed lately and I think that's where my threshold, my, my low threshold of people has stemmed from is just the entitlement in the world. It's just, I've been shaking my head at it lately. And you know what? That's, I can't say for certain. I have found myself pretty fucking grumpy lately. Pretty fucking grumpy lately. And I think this just, which is why I haven't kicked out very many podcasts. I've had lots of ideas. I've talked to numerous people about, jumping on the podcast with me and topics and this and that, but I've just, I've been cranky lately. I don't like people. And I was getting a lot of fucking, when I first started this podcast, there was a lot of, oh yeah, fucking wicked podcast. You're doing great. I fucking love listening to you. You're funny, blah, blah, blah. But as time went on and I kind of knew this would happen, I thought it would, I thought it would happen sooner than it did actually, but I getting started finally to get some negative feedback from people. Oh, I can't believe you said this. You shouldn't have said that. Your fucking take on this was way off. And your opinion's wrong. No, it's not. My opinion isn't necessarily fucking wrong. Fuck off. My opinion is my opinion. That's how I feel. That's the way I see things. That's what I think. And guess what, motherfucker? I'm entitled to that opinion. So you can go piss up a fucking rope, Jack. You don't like my opinion, you don't like my views, turn it off. Turn the fucking volume button down, press stop on your Spotify, your Apple, your Google, your Podbean, wherever you're fucking listening to this, and fuck off. Go fucking listen to a fucking podcast about whatever the fuck else you want to listen to a podcast about. But anyways, 
little rant there. Fucking really off the rails. But I know, I know that's why some of you fucking people tune in. Just to, to hear me go off the rails. But back to the steakhouse thing. I think the best steakhouse, and, and I wouldn't even classify it as a steakhouse. Um, I'd classify it as fine a fine dining restaurant, period. The best steakhouse I think I've ever been to. I can still taste it. It's been years, and I mean years since I've been there, is the Cattle Baron Steakhouse in Calgary, Alberta. Two locations. There's one up by the airport, and there is one down in, pardon me, uh, the South End uh, Shaughnessy. I believe it's still there. But, man, let me tell you, as I said earlier, cut the steak with your fork, melt in your mouth, goodness. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the Cattle Baron Steakhouse. I can't remember the name of the dish, but it was, the I think, the best one I've ever had, ever, anywhere, even at the Cattle Baron, was, uh, and I should know the name of this, but I can't remember it, was you get the steak, and it's like a strip loin, and you get the hollandaise sauce with asparagus on top. Holy fuck. Oh, my God. Remember I mentioned about cream your fucking jeans? Yeah. That dish right there from the Cattle Baron Steakhouse in Calgary will make you cream your jeans or your money back. So that's my favorite steakhouse that I've ever been to um, and my favorite dish. So any of you people that are from the Calgary area and have maybe never tried Cattle Baron Steakhouse or you're traveling to Calgary – uh, on business or vacation or whatever, please, I urge you, and, and I should check to see if it's still open. I'm sure it is. Uh, in my opinion, <clears throat> a restaurant that successful and that tasty, they usually typically don't go out of fucking business. Check out the Cattle Baron Steakhouse. You won't be disappointed. And one of my favorite things that we used to do when I was living out west, and I haven't done this in a long time, and I'm thinking of getting a group together uh, uh, the group of us, our best buddies, we used to get together, kind of, same thing, once or twice a year, and we would call it the gentleman's dinner, and we would go out to the cattle baron, and you know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't dress up by any means, but we would dress respectable, we would go out to the cattle baron, and you know, we'd sip old fashions and Manhattans, and we'd just sit there like men, and eat fucking meat, and it's just a fucking good time, like I said, it and I urge you guys out there, you, you, like everybody's got a tight, a tight fucking circle of friends. Everybody, you just want to have a good, nonchalant, satisfying night with the boys. Gather up your best buds, find a good steakhouse, put on some respectable clothing, and go out, drink some good drinks, and eat some fucking good meat. I'm telling you what, it's relaxing, it's enjoyable. It's satisfying. Maybe fucking find a, I know they're out there, maybe find a cigar lounge or something like that after you've had your meal. It's funny because we used to go and, you know, act like gentlemen, you know, act like we fucking had all the money in the world at these gentlemen's dinners. Shout out fucking Bryce Hubbard choking on your fucking steak in the middle of the cattle bear and shout out James Blackburn saving his life. But then we used to go to just the fucking rowdiest bar in Calgary, the fucking ranchman's. And just creep on women. I'm not ashamed to say it. I was single at the time. We'd go to this restaurant, get all hopped up on expensive booze and steak, feeling, you know, really get the fucking testosterone going, you know. And then you just go and you just become a fucking dumpster fire on the dance floor. You're fucking doorknob humping drunk and you're fucking smelling girls' hairs and you're pulling the eyelash trick and you just go go from the fucking penthouse to the doghouse and fucking in about four drinks flat you know you're it's funny because you're sitting at the fucking like i said you're sitting at cattle baron you're drinking a manhattan you're drinking an old-fashioned maybe you're sipping some crown on the rocks and two hours later you're drinking fucking bud heavies <laughs> at fucking ranchman's with your fake cfr jacket on that you didn't win telling broads that you're a fucking bull rider fuck i'm a winner eh But anyways, that's kind of my spiel for this episode. It's good to be back. For those of you that stuck around and and have been waiting for a new episode, thanks for sticking around. 
I promise you I'm going to try and get some more out here in the near future. Okay. Uh, harvest season. We're in corn harvest right now, so we're going pretty hard. Uh, I'm trucking. I'm farming. I'm coaching hockey. I'm fucking doing fiance things. Like, put a bullet in my fucking head. Um, I'm a busy guy. I still love doing the podcast. I've been meaning to get one out to you folks. My apologies for taking so long, but don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. There's always more great content to come. That's it. That's all for this episode of the Cox Talks Podcast. As always, tell your friends. Tell your fucking friends about the Cox Talks Podcast. Thanks for listening.